Welcome to this special episode of the CEC Report. I'm Robert Barwick, it's the 22nd of March. I'm joined today by a special guest, Denise Braley of the Banking and Finance Consumer Support Association. This week's episode of the CEC Report will be an interview with Denise on the banking system and what she knows about it. We're calling this Bank Crimes Are Worse Than Reported, Royal Commission Must Be Unleashed. So welcome, Denise. Thank you very much, Robbie. Now, Denise, just we'll just explain for the view. You're here in Melbourne with us because you've come over to attend the hearings of the Royal Commission. This is the second week that's been on in Melbourne. That's right, right yes. Um, so we invited you over here because in our view, um, and in the view of many politicians who know Denise, she is the expert in a lot of areas of bank fraud, which is what the Royal Commission is set up to look into. Um, so what we want to do is go through what Denise knows about the banking system and the way it relates to consumers in the area of mortgages and um, uh, investment advice, etc., And just, um, you know, do a bit of an autopsy so people understand how serious the banking situation is from two standpoints. One is um, just the fraud itself, which, which leaves lots of victims in its way. But the other issue that the CEC is always talking about is the larger economic issues in Australia. And one thing that's come out of the hearing so far in the Royal Commission, Denise, relates to what we keep warning about in terms of the property market as a whole yes. and how the banks are exposed to that and the, the danger, therefore, of a financial crash. And I just want to highlight this. So the viewers know that we've been campaigning against the, the chief bank regulator, APRA. Yes. Um, and consider this, back in the early 2000s, APRA changed one of its rules, called its prudential rules, um, and I won't explain all the details, it's related to what's called risk weighting, where they suddenly made mortgage lending by the banks far more profitable than any other lending. And that was like a big green light for the banks. Here's a, here you can put an extra heap of money into mortgages. The banks, though, have to have customers to lend those mortgages to. That's right. right? And you quickly run out, if you suddenly take a situation where banks maybe end up lend 30% of their loans to, on mortgages, right? But suddenly they've, they've gone from that to 60%. Yes. But that 30% was their average for decades and decades and decades and decades. That's yeah. a standard average, right? And suddenly it's much, much bigger. You run out of people who can afford those mortgages. That's correct. And this is where the, the question of fraud comes into it. So now what we've had is a couple of decades where property prices have risen. It's become the, the biggest part of the economy. The whole banking system depends on these property prices. Yeah. How many, the poor viewer, Denise, thinks they're millionaires, half of them, right? Because they're sitting on a property that's worth a million dollars. But if, that, if, the, if the upward pressure on property prices came from people who could actually afford to buy the properties they were buying, mm -hmm. that might be one thing. But as you know, and as this Royal Commission has started to draw out, they haven't been able to afford them. And the amount of people who possibly have n are not able to afford what they've been buying is enormous. Yes. It's just more, and to cover that up, the banks have piled more debt into it mm. to refinance, etc. And so um, even Robert Gottliebson yesterday in The Australian made the point, he, he, he had an article warning the Reserve Bank, if you re look what the Royal Commission's uncovered about how many dodgy lo loans are out there of people who can't afford them because the information has been wrong, if you raise interest rates, right, um, we could have a massive calamity on our hands, right? Yes. So 
That's the big picture that the CEC has been trying to highlight and why we need serious banking reform like a Glass-Steagall banking separation to stop this, the banks being able to just go in this one direction and gamble. But the nitty-gritty of it is worth knowing. Just to bring it home how serious this is, and this is what we want Denise to talk about. So, again, Denise, thanks for joining us. I'll shut up now. Let me ask you a few questions. Um, just for the benefit of you, what is the BFCSA BF and how did that come about? It's uh, something I started about 15 years ago under another name and then it gradually realised that it's not about real estate per se, it's about banking and we renamed it Banking and Finance Consumer Support Association. And now it really is coming about that the Royal Commission is all about banking and finance. So we're really the peak support group at the moment, sadly, um, as, as small as we are, um, that can actually open up what the banks were really doing, open up the black box. This black box term is interesting. This, mm. you, we've, you mentioned that to me privately the other day. Just describe this black, because we'll unpack it on this show a bit, hopefully. Just yes. describe the, the term the black box. Well, when you want to find out what's wrong with a car, I presume you go under the bonnet, not me, but you yeah. will look at the mechanics. Yeah and tear every piece apart until you find why there's a systematic breakdown in the whole engine not functioning. Yep. And that's what we've done at BFCSA. Now, your understanding of has come from, um, correct me if I'm wrong, your direct advocacy of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bank victims. Yes. So you've gone through their cases with a fine tooth comb and advocated on their behalf with a lot of success, I understand. Yes, I mean, over the years, uh, 18 years ago, I started looking at these uh, loan application forms. And during that time, I probably have looked at over 2,000 of them. But what came out of it, it was startling. They were all the same. The same model. The banks were using the same model. It led me to the conclusion that, without a doubt, the banks are running a cartel-like operation where they've admitted in the Royal Commission, nobody wants to be the first horse out of the box in order to change, change anything. Yes, so it stays the same. But what it was doing was creating unaffordable loans and we believe it's not the 40% uh, that APRO's been saying, it's not the reduction to the old 30%. The number of loans is closer, according to the sellers who I've worked a lot with, um, the, the brokers and bank managers are telling me we sell mostly interest-only loans. Now that's key telling and our work shows it's around 80%. See, by definition, interest-only loans are loans to people who can't afford more than interest-only. That's right. So they're right on, they, they should be not making those loans in the first place. And it's not a small problem. Your no. ex direct experience is 80% in your view. Yes, that's right that the interest-only loans were sold as mortgages. So when people first ring me up, yes, some of them do, um, uh, you know, the more savvy, do think, well, I've got an interest-only loan. Yes, I know that. But 70% in our surveys show that the people that came to me and still come to me show that, um, yes, 70% of them did not know it was an interest-only loan. Now, a lot of your um, people that you work with uh, who are victims of the banks are actually elderly people, right? Who were 
in your view, targeted by the banks. They'd paid off their home yes. and they were targeted because they'd been, they had already paid off their home. That's right. The age group is really more, say, mid-50s. So they're older people. Sorry, that are I shouldn't say that. I'll take that back. Older oh. people. <laughs> <laughs> they're mostly older people, but there's a lot of elderly in there yep. uh, that have been spruiked. None of them walked into the bank and asked for a loan. Very right. few. Yep. They were either approached over the phone or approached through creating wealth seminars, which are funded by the banks, yep. or they were approached by knocks on the door uh, by bank agents um, that were looking specifically for one thing. A person that owns their own home, has no debt, and even if they're on a low income, they'll walk right in and have a cup of tea. Yeah, because the object is to get their mitts on that home. Yes, that's right. That's the asset. Let's take a break and we'll continue this discussion. Welcome to, back to the CEC Report, where we're talking with Mr. Denise Browley of the Banking and Finance Consumer Support Association on the issue of bank crimes are worse than reported, Royal Commission must be unleashed. So, Denise, before the break, you were talking about how the, a lot of your uh, clients are older people mm. who were targeted because they own their own home. They didn't go and seek a loan. They had one spruit to them. Mm. And these people come under this category, don't they, of asset rich, income poor, ARIP. That's correct. Yes, it's a term um, used in demographics of housing, but the banks adopted it for their sales bill seminars. Now, um, my understanding is in 2005, you attended a, a Macquarie Bank function in Sydney with some pretty prominent people present, I think um, Peter Costello addressed it. Yes. And you heard something that made you see what was going to come down the pipe. Yes, I actually um, was listening to their method of suggesting um, that you go out and find new markets. So that's what the Treasurer was saying. The go Treasurer to, was telling him to do that, go yes, find new markets. Go find, yeah. The thing is, you've got to go and find new markets. And he was talking about an, uh, an example of a little old lady in Chatswood where her home at the time would have been worth a million dollars. And that these are the sorts of people that could be approached. And they had the acronym... For a loan, to borrow for, money. For a loan to borrow money to put into the housing market. And so they were telling the brokers subtly that they should go and look for those new markets. And they labelled them ARIPs, asset-rich, income-poor. So most of these people were on a pension. Mm. They bought a home and worked all their years to pay it off, uh, mostly back to the 60s. Um, and then they were ripe for going to the front door and knocking on the door and saying, I can find a better way in which to... Um, uh, help you with your retirement plans to bring you into a level of, re uh, as a retiree, no longer reliant on a pension. That yeah. was the spiel. Yeah, right. So I leaned over to the senior executive, it was, um, I was a VIP guest of, and I said, oh my God, they're going to go after the pensioners. And if that's around 2005, that's exactly what has unfolded yes. ever since. Yeah. That's what a lot of this Royal Commission stuff is all about. Yes, that's right. But what you're talking about, the treasurer of the day, Peter Costello, who incidentally just 
warned the Royal Commission against going too hard. Yes. Right? He's involved in setting up this machine yes. whereby they're creating, we've always said this, they created this property bubble. It was a deliberate mm. decision. And these are some of the mechanics of how they did it. And you were there to see, witness that. Yes, Robbie, I should explain that the actual audience, um, I was a guest, the audience were financial planners and brokers and bank managers. So they were really teaching them to go and find new markets. They had other people to actually teach the mechanics of how to go about it. Yeah. But the treasurer was kip- kicking off his speech along that line. So when, when the public hears cases like, say, Storm Financial in mm. North Queensland, which erupted three years yes. after this in 2008, yes. It, it comes down after, the, when it all boils down to it, you get a court case involving the two, the, the couple that run Storm Financial. You get a little bit on the side about the banks involved, which were Macquarie being one of them yes. and Commonwealth Bank. But what you're talking about is, is this is, uh, th- th- those cases are the result of a much bigger intention that involved the highest levels of government, really. They, 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 just, un- they just let these um, uh, predators off the hook to say, go and get them. Yes. I actually had conversations with Mr. Casamatis, read the storm issue. I did speak to brokers. I did speak to um, these hierarchy of people that were running these types of investment plans. But the thing was that all these offices, storm or otherwise, were serviced by what they call BDMs. And that's the business development managers inside the banking system. They're bank employees. Yes. And they go out to the office. They teach them how to fill out a form. They teach them what spiels to use. It's very limited information. It's a 30-hour training course at best. And, of course, most of the things the broker or the seller, I call them all sellers, bank managers as well, should know are not taught in those um, tricks of the trade. And this is an issue that you, um, I won't say uniquely, but I, you're the person I've heard it from the most, that where, when these scandals erupt and they get, often get reported on the news like 60 Minutes a couple of years ago, etc., or Four Corners, all the question of fraud gets put on the broker, right? Yes. You talk about rogue brokers, and you've been saying, based on, like you just said then, that the issue is, it's not really the brokers that's fault here. The issue is the fraud comes from the bank. That's right. The, the, the brokers were not able to dream this up. And what's more, the brokers don't know each other. They might know one or two yeah. colleagues, but they don't communicate between the whole of Australia. So and by, the brokers themselves become victims of this machine, don't they? Because they're encouraged <laughs> to hook, up, hook their own family members into yes, it. Yes, sadly, the banks also had another ingenious moment of suggesting that every broker practice on their parents first. That's disgraceful. That if your parents own a home, their own home, they're on a low income, then practice on those people first. And you've got brokers who've come to you full of remorse that their parents are now, you know, saddled with a huge debt because they followed the bank's instructions on that. Yes, and I might add, Robbie, on a serious note, there was a family that came to me um, a few months ago, and it wasn't. It was around six months ago that the broker tried to commit suicide, and it was quite serious. The parents were at his bedside. Yeah, right. And I've spoken to him since. That family have been very forthcoming, and it wasn't easy to discuss. But I think my expertise, apart from the academic side, uh, has been in talking to all those that are caught up in this model of deceit, because that's what I call yeah. it. It's a deception. It's an intention to deceive. 
which is not coming out anywhere that I've read. No. Well, um, before we go to the break, I just want to, one of the things that struck me about the, the hearings from the Royal Commission is when the Commonwealth Bank said on the stand that they have 13,000 brokers. And that's just one bank yes. in Australia. And as a political party, we, we sort of look at Australia, um, it's divided up among federal electorates. Yes. Well, 13,000 brokers is about 90 per federal electorate. So that's, that's 90 brokers in the suburb of Coburg, Brunswick and Glenroy mm. here in Melbourne. Yes. There's no way Mel this suburb needs 90 brokers for one bank. No way in a fit. But that's the level of saturation these banks use with these brokers. But, it, but they have a very high turnover because yes, they, they chew do. them up and spin them out. Mm. And so the machine that needs to be looked at is not the broker side of it, though there's whatever issues there may be there. The real issue is the banks. Um, so let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Royal Commission, what you've seen so far. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're talking to Denise Bradley from the Banking and Finance Consumer Support Association. So, Denise, you've attended close to a week of the hearings of the Royal Commission, the second week, and of course you're watching them from over West Australia for the first week. What have you found, so what's your impression of what's happening there? Well, we already knew that the terms of reference were minute. It yeah. was only to look at whether the banks were behaving um, below community standards. And, and to me, that's just not good enough. No. Uh, so there's obviously tampering with the way we approach looking at this serious issue for Australia and the economy. So I, Well, I, if you consider Peter Costello's intervention yesterday saying, you know, don't go too hard, and then Mel everyone knows Malcolm Turnbull only called this once he got permission from the banks to do it. So probably the banks helped write the terms of reference, and that's what the, the Royal Commission has to work with. But how do you think he's going within those terms of reference? Oh, I think he's got a good grasp of what's going on. I think he's extremely astute um, and I think he um, is a no-nonsense type of person. So he's actually the ideal choice to be there. But to, to, for a man of his intellect to be stymied by the terms of reference yeah. is, is really pathetic on the part of those that cobbled together those terms. Yeah. Um, we reported some of the proceedings so far in our Australian Alert Service. I just wanted to highlight, comment on some of the things that have come out. Um, one of the more humorous ones, it's not really humorous, but you, you, what you laugh at is the bank's excuses, right? So mm. uh, from apparently from 2011 and 2015, the Commonwealth Bank admitted that it signed up close to 10,000 customers to overdraft facilities that they couldn't afford. They couldn't afford the facility, but the facility was there to help them service mortgages that they also couldn't afford in the first place. Mm. But when these, these applications were all approved by a computer, yes. and it turns out the computer was recording their, the customers were providing their exp living expenses information, mm. but the computer was reporting it as, recording it as zero. And then after the fact, the Com after four years of this, Commonwealth Bank called it a glitch. Do you accept that was a glitch? Oh no, this is not a glitch. This is a systemic um, opportunity for asset stripping. It's actually a criminal offence. It's, it's false and misleading in the way that things are carried out. Uh, these loan application forms are stereotyped yeah. and, and everyone comes up with the same fraud no matter who gets the copy. But the 
key thing there is no borrower in Australia was allowed to fill out their own form, still not. And the, and the reason, you, I think if I'm getting you right, the reason for that is because the bank wants to control the information of living expenses, right? That's the key part there. That's right, because that's how they can skew the result through the robotic automated uh, approval system. So we picked up on robots approving the documents about five years ago. And, and they've been doing it for some time. Now, the banks, a, a succession of executives on the stand kept admitting to mistakes. Mm. But I think you made the point on Twitter that all the mistakes had the, the, the characteristic that they all profited the bank. That's right. None of them. No, you know, there's no error in your favour for the consumer. None. No. And that, therefore, you do have to, you know, be, you're forgiven for saying, well, hang on, is this really a mistake here? Did, did, did you think the commissioner was buying that? Line no, of I argument? don't think he bought it for one moment, Robbie. <laughs> now, he in the uh, there was a sec in the discussion with the ANZ about the household expenditure measure. Just describe that. So the, bro the, the the ANZ admitted that when the broker provides the information of a loan, ANZ doesn't even use the living expenses that do re get recorded in that information at all. No, the living expenses are never written down by the customer at all. They're not asked for them in Australia. Not one loan was the customer asked for their normal cost of living to write a list out or a budget. And, and so the ANZ said, oh, we, we just use a standard statistical measure. That's right. But there's two standard statistical measures. One, they claim they use the household expenditure measure. What you claim they use a different measure? Well, that's just laughable. They use the HEM, they call it, the H-E-M, uh, they were saying on the stand. But in actual fact, the documents show they use the HPI, which is the Henderson Poverty Index. So what I found is that they were calculating affordability based on everybody living on bread and water. And that's... That's the basis, and you would say, as you, that's probably the 80% of the loans you're talking about. Yes. Um, assume that everyone in Australia lives at the poverty line. That, that's why the banks are justified in pumping out the amount of credit into housing they do, mm. right? Yeah. It, I, I will make mention, that's 100%. Every loan is like that. Every loan? Every loan is like that. Where the 80% comes in is that 80% of these loans are interest only. Yeah, okay, right. And so, that's the big figure. Yeah. So, okay, well, you've just said 100%. If that's the basis of these loans, if that's how they calculate affordability, and we have interest rate rises, mm. right, it's going to take very little to push a lot of people over the edge. That's, that's the bottom line here. Um, well, look, let's wrap this up. I just want, before we, before we uh, end today's episode, the CEC put out a call uh, last week for the Royal Commission terms of reference to be expanded. Hmm. And you've said the same thing. Yes. Now, expanded in two ways. They have to have more scope for what they look at. Yes. We're saying they've got to be able to look at APRA and ASIC, yes. um, especially APRA. Um, you have more to do with ASIC. But the time for this inquiry must be extended as well. Right, because the yes. two they only got to spend five days on this huge mortgage fraud question, and that's ridiculous. Mm. So, what the CEC is encouraging people to do is get um, on your email or on your phone and contact your member of parliament and demand it. This is outrageous that this commission is being hobbled like this, and also send emails to the commissioner asking him, "Look, the public's behind you. Demand yes. from the government 
more scope to look at this stuff because we think he has the qualification to do the right thing. Mm. All right. So thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the CSC Report. Thank you very much, Denise, for joining us. Join us next week for more. Thank you.